in a series that uh, we're doing called, hang on, I've got to find my timer and start it, or else I'll go way long. The series we're called, Here's the Thing. And uh, again, I've told you I, I like the, uh, I really enjoy this title, because Leslie talks about a lot of stuff, but we're, we're talking about things behind the things that keep us from experiencing full and abundant life, and that this life is really about, you know, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, and, and uh, that we should be experiencing at some measure peace and joy, even in the midst of things going on, but there's a lot of things that work against us, and we have a very real enemy who's trying to steal life from us. So over the last couple of weeks already, I started to talk about the idea of Sabbath and what Sabbath is. Uh, we're slowly defining and that it's more than a rest. And there's, there's more to it and that we need to understand it. And we've looked at it in the context of Exodus. Uh, and so we've spent some time in the Old Testament. We're going to go back there again today and spend some more time. But the, the recurring theme that we see is this uh, deliverance or this rescue from slavery and bondage into the promised land, and that that happens throughout the Scripture. So we'll get back to that again today and dig in a little deeper. Uh, that's the intro. Transition, always a bad joke or thought or something. Uh, uh, my friend is really frustrated that um, he has to use this stair chair lift because of, uh, of his age. It's, uh, it's driving him up the wall. Oh, yeah, I, I saw this too. The word, the world tongue twister champion just got arrested. I hear they're going to give him a really tough sentence. <laughs> Come on, comedy gold. I almost got rid of this one, but they, they begged me to keep it last night. The urge to sing The Lion Sleeps Tonight is just a whim away, a whim away, a whim away, a whim away. <laughs> In the jungle, the mighty jungle, the lion sleeps tonight. You know, it would be really cool if I could have had that worked out where then a whole bunch of people walked out. But I don't, so. (laughs) So I've been telling you all along how important it is to read the Scripture and I'm encouraging you all the time and as we're digging into the uh, Old Testament, the Exodus, I, I keep trying to find little stories about things that are happening so that you can see how the, the, it's just pointing to Jesus all the time. That It's throughout the Old Testament when you're looking for it. Last week, we started the message and I talked about Miriam and how she celebrated uh, with, uh, you know, all the women got up with tambourines and dancing and celebrated and praised God when they had been rescued and they were on the right side of the Red Sea. Remember the horse and the rider thrown, did this? And... Uh, it's an amazing chapter. Well, if you had continued on in Exodus 15, there's this other thing that happens there that's really amazing. So after all of the celebrating and everything, they begin their journey. And they, they're heading out into the wilderness, and they're heading out into the desert. And they're three days into the journey, and they have no water. And they begin to grumble and complain that there's no water. And they come up to um, a sort of a little river uh, or some waters that are called Mara. They're called Mara because they're bitter. You can't drink them. So they're thirsty, and here's water that they can't drink, and they really start complaining. Remember, all the time, everything is trying to pull us back into Egypt. And and so they start, they complain, they want to go back, all those other things. But here's what happens. It's really cool, is that um, uh, God points out a tree to Moses and says, get that tree and and throw it in the water, 
and the bitter waters become sweet and they can drink it. And you think, well, that's a pretty cool story. But see, there's so much more to it than what's happening. Uh, and, and so that's why it's so important that we read what's going on. So when uh, God tells Moses to look to the tree, or he sort of points him to the tree, remember last week I said whenever we, you start seeing a tree or a stick or wood, uh, oftentimes it's a reference to the cross. Uh, because he, he would be nailed to a tree on our behalf. And so that you've got to think about, ooh, is that one of those times? Well, uh, what's really cool is that it says that he points, or he says look, or, and that word there for point or look is the word yara, which is where we get the word Torah from. And Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament. Uh, and, and Torah means to lead or to point. And so what's happening is that Torah is pointing is leading to the tree or the cross or whatever. What's happening in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. And, and then you look at it and you sort of have to think about this. Uh, is there any tree in your life that has taken the water's bitterness and made them sweet? And if you're a Christian, you can tell. It's the cross that happened. And when did it happen? On the third day. See, that stuff is happening throughout the Scripture. And, and it's not coincidence. It's, it's an amazing um, sort of proof that, that the entire book is inspired uh, by God divinely and that there's just full of these things that are pointing us to Jesus because He wants us to know life that we can have in Him. So I want to go back, if we could, to the creation account and sort of tie it into this idea of Sabbath and what we've been looking at in the Ten Commandments. So we're going to read Genesis 1. 1 and 2, and then the first few verses of Genesis 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Chapter 2. Thus the heavens and earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work He had been doing. So on the seventh day, He rested from all His work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So uh, just I sort of did the intro to the creation account and then a little summary. But if you get a chance, you should go back and read it. And you'll see that, that what's going on here is this sort of functional creation. And God will speak ten times. If you go and count them, there are ten and God says not coincidence because I keep we've been talking about the ten words of the ten commandments ten times God orders creation day one there's light day two is sky and water day three is land and sea and vegetation day four is sun moon stars day five fish birds day six land animals man and woman and then on the seventh day says he rests before he rests though understand that he has put his image his likeness into this cosmic temple which is people uh, he's, he's ordered the world, if you would, so that people now are able to do what he's asked them to do, and he rests because everything is in its proper place. Everything is ordered now. Everything is sorted out. Everything is where it needs to be. Uh, Alice and I, we had this thing, I was thinking about this this last week as we, we were thinking about this on Mondays. After a long weekend, we'll sort of, you know, get up and we'll have our coffee and, and sort of get rolling. And then what we do is we go through and we, we do all the little chores that we have uh, on Monday. So, you know, we vacuum and we clean. I clean the cat box because that's my chore. Uh, I don't like that job, but I do it. And, uh, 
we get all these things done because until there's sort of until there's sort of order restored into uh, you know our little home, I don't feel like I can engage in the day. I can't rest. I can't move forward. I can't go out and recreate. I can't do those things. I like things to be ordered, and, and I think most of us can relate to that. There's something in that in the process. It, no, so Alice and I, we've been watching this little detective show on uh, BritBox. It's called Shetland. Uh, we like British TV, some of it. Shetland is set in Scotland. And they, uh, they actually, instead of saying organized on the show, they said sorted. Everything's sorted. And Alice, just out of the blue, she says to me, we should start saying sorted instead of organized or put together. Just sorted. We'll just start playing. Well, everything's sorted now. And uh, I think that's kind of random. But, but, you know, you pick something up. But I said to her, I have this thought that if I could actually speak in a Scottish accent, there'd be like twice as many people at church. <laughs> because people love an accent, you know. So, so I'm always trying to pull it off like, ah, today we're going to worship and it's going to be great and grand and we're going to come and we're going to praise and we'll sing together and we'll have some great food. Won't that be grand? Lass and lassies and whoever else is here. And lassie is not right, right? And we're going to worship and we'll get the bagpipes. And it's going to, but I can't pull it off long enough because I keep dropping out of it. But, uh, but you get the idea. Anyway, so I don't know how I got that far off. So let's pull back into the story. It'll be great. Uh, I'm grand. So what's happening here is, because uh, I want to talk about Sabbath now. So, uh, and, and this is sort of seventh day idea is that the heavens and the earth were finished. They were completed. They were ready to function. Everything was put in place. The entire host was ready. And then it says in that little summary in chapter 2, so God blesses the seventh day. This is a good day. Why does he say that? Because the day is now functioning. Everything is now put in place so that it's ordered, ready to go, sorted, and he makes it holy to make this day holy. Now, what, what, is, what does it mean? What does a holy day look like? Well, if, if you were to go and look at Leviticus 19, which, which would be great if you could do that this week, it starts out this way in verses 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And then the rest of the chapter, you know what it talks about? How we're to treat people. The whole thing is about how we treat people. Because see, holiness is relational. We have this wrong idea of what holy is a lot of times. Jesus is the perfect example of holiness and what he do? He loved people and he did it well. See, the, the idea of this whole day now is he blesses this day and he makes it holy because now that the day is functioning, it can be a day that's about relationship with God and with others. And, and so when we get to the Ten Commandments, which we've been talking about, all these things start to tie together. Remember, I said the Ten Commandments is actually the Ten Words. So God had ordered everything at creation, and then we went our own way, and the fall happened, and we'd been whisked off into slavery and bondage, and God moves mightily, and He rescues us, and He moves us through the Red Sea and in, out into the wilderness where He provides for everybody and takes care of their needs, you know, the, the daily bread and uh, manna, manna and then quail and water, everything they need. And then he reorders society again by speaking once again ten times into what's going on. This time we know him as the commandment. The ten commandments weren't how they earned these things. They, uh, they had already been delivered and rescued. Had nothing to do with that. He was just ordering life again so that it could function. And it was all about relationship. The first three are about relating to God. The last six are about relating to others. And he sets them in place. 
Number four is what's interesting to me because that's the one that's about Sabbath. And, and so we, we're talking about what Sabbath looks like because that one hinges the other two. And I, don't, I think if you don't get four right, you, you, you can't do the first three and you can't do the last six. And so we've we got to understand what four is. See, and what we have to figure out, point number one, is that the Sabbath was actually made for man. So this, this one, this number four, see, I think this is the one that when we learn, that's how we really learn to love ourselves. Jesus said when he was asked, what's the most important thing? Matthew twenty two thirty seven. he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, if those 10, the first three are about loving God and the last six are about loving others, that only leaves us number four. That's where we learn to love ourselves. And it's this idea of Sabbath. Now, the enemy has been hard at work from the beginning to steal that from us. He doesn't want us to figure this one out. And so immediately the uh, theologians, the religious theologians of the day, they took this idea and they about Sabbath and they came up that it's all about not working. And so they actually came up with 39 separate categories of what work was. And then in those 39 categories, there are subcategories. So very soon you had hundreds of things that you couldn't do on Sabbath. And they missed the whole point that that's not what Sabbath was about anyway. See, instead of being about remembering and, and resting in Him and trusting in Him and loving on him. It became about all the things that you couldn't do. It was really a torturous day. But Jesus comes along. He says, no, the Sabbath was made for man. Mark 2, 27. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Sabbath has always been more than a day. We looked at that last week. We talked about a seven, you know, seven year sabbatical and all sorts of things. It's more than a nap. I said last week, it's a reset. It's about... uh, making sure we're not being pulled back into Egypt, into all those things, but taking time to remember who He is, what He's done, our, our life with Him, our life with others, and, and so that we don't start treating people again like commodities. Like, or, and we don't treat God that way either. Like God's just about getting what we can out of Him, and people are just either, either they're annoying us or that we're using them to get what we want. So we have to stop and remember and reset that we were all once slaves in Egypt. In effect, all of us were in slavery and bondage to sin, but He has rescued us in the process. So we have to know, secondly then, what biblical rest is, because these two things go hand in hand. The idea of, of a reset and then biblical rest. So what is biblical rest? It's point two. So here we have the seventh day from our creation account, and we have a day that's blessed because everything is right with God in the world. And it's holy now because it can be relational, because it's functioning properly. And so because of it, God rested from all the work that He had done in creation. Because it was done, He rested. Not that He took a nap, or that He took a vacation, or that He needed a day off. He was at rest because things worked now. Everything was functioning. So He was able to rest. Not like He had to take a rest. He was actually at rest because everything was ordered and doing what it was supposed to do. So rest, the idea of biblical rest, is where life becomes fully functional. And see, that's what God wants for us. And it's all tied into this idea of loving Him and loving others. He wants us to have lives that are full and significant. And the enemy is trying to steal it from us to make it something else. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. 
But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So God wants us to have this full life, abundant life. Life where our relationships with Him and, and our relationship with others are, are functioning and matter and count and have value. And so that only happens when we know we have to get Him first in our lives. And, and so we, we start understanding we're not to put other little G-gods in our life. And I told you that last week when we're on the wrong side of the Red Sea, when we pulled back, we're anxious and we're worried and we're stressed. And when we get like that and we're restless, that's when we're tempted to make our own little false gods. And we try and find something to fix it other than God. I, that's where addictions come from. That's where the problems that we have come from. It all comes from that spot in our lives. We're trying to make some sort of graven image to, to sort of make him, you know, sort of do what we want him to do uh, in, in the process. And we, we take his name in vain. That means we, we call ourselves followers, but we're not really following. We're trying to manipulate God into doing the things that we want. And so, so we're, not, we're not at rest with him. And then we're certainly not at rest with everybody else. But biblical rest is when we know that, that we, because we're on this side, we can trust him that he's good, that he's got us, that he's for us. And, and then because of that love, we can begin to love others appropriately where they matter and count. They're not commodities. They have value in their lives. And so we're to, we're to honor them and respect them and not steal from them and not lie to them and do all those other things. And see, that's sort of the heart of rest. It's, it's always been more than a day. It's a life that he wants us to have. But the problem we have, all of us, I, I believe, is that we haven't so we haven't fully figured that out yet. And, and the reason that we're, we're not having the, the full and abundant lives that we can have is because we, we really haven't learned to let God take us from our formlessness and our emptiness to a place of rest where things are in order. And so how do we get there? Well, that's point three. We have to learn to yield to Him. This, this is a learning process. Yielding to Him and... and uh, See, if the biblical rest is where our lives become functional, then the enemy who's trying to steal things away, he wants us stuck in disorder and chaos because there's no life there. That's why the constant pull is back in that direction. But God says, you know what? I, I want to give you rest, but, but rest comes when you, when you get me in my proper spot and, and then begin to love the way that you're called to love. Remember, the first thing, he said, Matthew twenty two thirty seven. love God, all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. We've got to get that figured out. So I think the question we need to be asking so that we can experience life fully the way he wants us to is, is God, would you, would you show me every area of my life where I've got something other than you first? Would you show me anything that is more of a priority to me than you? And the thing is that God's faithful to that. When you begin to ask sincerely, He will start to show you sincerely what needs to happen. And then what we need to do is we begin to yield to those things. Every spot where we've got ourselves stuck in the center of the story, which is our nature, God, I want you to be the center of the story. Show me those things so that, that I can yield to what you want to do in my life to get me out of there and into the place of life. I put a little ad up on the Facebook this week. And... Um, Oh, that shows my age, the Facebook. Uh, I put it on the line, on the Facebook. If you saw it, it's, a, it's an ad. It's, a, it's an intersection in a third world country somewhere. And what it is, and if you haven't seen that one, you've seen others, 
All these cars are moving in at this ridiculous rate of speed, and there's all these scooters, and there's all these bicyclists, and there's all these pedestrians, and they're moving through this thing, and you, you look at it, and it looks so chaotic, and you think to yourself, they must be just getting hit constantly, picked off of there in the situation. But the reality is they're not. And you think, well, how is that even possible? Well, they know how to yield. See, what happens is they have to be engaged in order to navigate these things in their life because it's a part of their life. It's how they go. And so everybody moving through that situation is fully engaged. Not only are they looking out for themselves, they're looking out for everybody else. They're driving, they've got windows down, and they're, they're really engaged. I promise you they're not listening to their own radio with the windows closed up and the air conditioning on and having conversations and texting or doing any of that stuff. They are completely fully engaged in what's happening, and they're watching out for everybody else so that everybody can continue on. They're yielding to the situation. See, ultimately, it's a picture of us. You know, we, we tend in, in our society to be more sort of indi- individuals. We, we get into our own cars, and we get the windows up, and we get the radios on, and, and we sort of block out everything else, and it's pretty much about us. And we're not yielding to anybody or anything. By golly, I'm coming. You better get out of my way. Biggest vehicle wins, I guess. But every once in a while, I got a little car, and I'll start thinking, I forget. <laughs> you ever do that thing where you block a lane? Because never mind. All right, so... No, I know you don't do it. Every time I do it, I go, why are you doing that? Never mind. Here we go. Listen, the, the heart of this is we get serious with God and we, we say, Lord, you know, I just want to yield to you. I, I, I just want you to have your way with me because, Lord, I don't want a formless and empty life. I, I don't want a life that's chaotic. Lord, I want to be a, a, a life that's in your rest, where my relationships make a difference, where my relationship with you and with others matters and counts and is significant, because that's where life is. Lord, and I want to be in relationship in a way that, that people who don't know you yet are sort of drawn to it, because I know that's why I'm here. And so, Lord, would you just help me to, to see those places where I don't have you first and see and catch myself every time that I sort of am, am not treating people the way they need to be treated. And God, help me to yield in those areas so that I can have a fully functioning life, the life that you've come for me to have, and I can embrace this thing and experience it the way you want me to. And so think about that this week and ask yourself those questions, and uh, you know we're going to pick it up from there and press on more next week. Ministry team, those of you here, why don't you head over the wall and... Uh, People on the way over there are here to pray for you. And if you need prayer for anything, they'll make sure you get it. But I'm going to pray for you as a group. And uh, we'll go from there. I would just look. The air conditioners are cranked, by the way. It's just a little humid. So if you're feeling warm, just sorry. I can't make them spin any louder than that. Papa, thank you for your amazing love for us. You're such an awesome God. And, and I pray that we would just engage with you in a way that we can experience life fully. That we would understand that this idea of biblical rest is just living day to day in relationship with you and with others in a way that makes a difference. And that that's where we find life. 
And Lord, as we do, I, I, I pray that not only would we be changed, but it would impact the world around us for you. That you would bring renewal, revival, and breakthrough to this area. That hundreds and thousands of people would come to know you as their Lord and Savior. We pray for every church in this area, God, where your word is preached. Ask that you would bless them abundantly with everything they need to fulfill the mission you've given them. We ask for your continued abundant blessing on us, God. To fulfill the mission you've given us of one more. Just one more lost child back to you, Dad. Just one more. Thank you so much for including us in your story here in this time and place. You're such an awesome God. If you need prayer for anything this morning, folks over there will pray for you. They'll pray for your healing, relationships, problems, finances, situations, whatever you got. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, let's take care of that too. It's where it all begins. It's, it's really, it's, it's humility and faith. In humility, it's just admitting to God you're broken like all the rest of us. You've sinned. Asking Him to forgive you, which you'll do, and then in faith... Inviting, accepting Jesus into your heart and life as Lord and Savior. If you've never prayed a prayer like that, do it today. Anybody over there help you? Just go and say, hey, I want to know Jesus. They'll lead you through a simple prayer. So if you need prayer for that or for anything, I'd encourage you to get it. If you're going to stay in our breakfast, Lord, thank you for the food you provided today. Bless that. Everybody that makes it possible. Drop people in for the 11 o'clock service, God, so they can hear about your love for them as well. You're so awesome. Praise God from... bless and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and give you peace. And go today in the peace, the power, and the love of God. God bless you all. Thank you for being here. We'll see you soon. Remember, be thankful for five things. Encourage two people so we can get one lost child back to dead. Prayers over there. Breakfast will be in the back. As you go, have a great and grand day. Be careful of the great lake in the parking lot. Treat each other with great kindness. Catch some fish. Bye.